I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. G'day and welcome to the call. 10 stock picked by you two experts. One hour. It is Tuesday, the 10th of January. I'm Andrew Gagan. Good to have you with us. Our two experts on the show today. Scott Phillips from The Motley Fool and Mark Morland from Team Invest. Guys, welcome to both of you. Mark, uh, what are you watching for in the markets at the moment? Are you, are you keeping an eye on the data? We've got earnings season coming up, of course, in the States. Um, I, think, I think earnings season uh, is going to be interesting. Mm. Um, at the moment, a moment you know, we've come off sort of 20% um, in the US from uh, mainly through PE contraction. But the, most of the forecasters are saying earnings are going to be up. It's hard to see how that can be. You know, with, if you look at all the pressures on consumers and mm. um, fuel, energy, costs, and also um, rates going up and so on. So I'd be interested to see what earnings do. I think there's a real chance next year that we'll, we'll start seeing some significant drops in earnings, which obviously, even if that doesn't reduce the PE ratio anymore, is obviously going to bring share prices down. So I'm very much in the not trying to buy anything at the moment, just um, quite liquid and uh, watching to see what happens. So what I'd like to do is uh, have um, an opportunity to snap up some of our fabulous wealth winners at cheap prices, but at the moment they're not well, that cheap. All right. So you, you, yeah. So at the moment you're the I'm cautious. Waiting. I'm being patient. You're the cautious patient, investor. Patient, patient. Waiting, okay. Waiting for some bargains. Patient. Yeah. Um, Scott, is that, um, does that describe you at the moment? Kind of. Uh, I, I think Mark's uh, uh, supposition is exactly right in terms of what we're likely to see for corporate earnings over the next six, 12, maybe even 18 months. There's a lot of uncertainties, though. I, I tend to be fully invested most of the time. Uh, statistically, uh, the market's likely to go up rather than down. So I, I, I share Mark's thoughts about the market. A couple of things I'm trying to maybe avoid doing. First is, um, if we're right, that earnings are going to come under some sort of pressure, what has already been allowed for in the share price? If you look at some of the the better business out there, we talked about JB Hi-Fi so many times. I haven't checked this week, but pretty sure it's probably still on a single-digit PE. Would JB Hi-Fi's sales and profits fall if we hit a recession, for example? Probably, yes. Um, if it's a downturn, maybe even. They, they may still fall because it's discretionary. Uh, but is the share price already allowing for that? I guess that's kind of the question. I Sometimes I just take the step back and say, I don't know. It's hard to know how the market's going to react to news. Sometimes there's okay news, the market you know loses its cool. Other times the news is bad and the market jumps because they're expecting worse. That's kind of the story. So uh, I, I'm, I'm a, a, a caught with my pants up kind of guy. I'd rather be fully invested most of the time. I generally am or prefer to be where I can. Um, notwithstanding, Mark could absolutely be right. But you have to know what's going to happen with the business, then what's going to happen with the share price, and then uh, maybe it goes up between now and then anyway and it comes back, the old you know waiting for the dip when the share goes up 10%, they're down five and people pile in. There would have been better waiting. So I don't know what's going to happen share price-wise. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if Mark was right, but not knowing the answer to that question, I'd rather be invested because statistically, I reckon that gives me a better chance of winning. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So, and I largely can go. I'm, I'm still largely fully invested. I do the same thing. But I did. I have yeah. sold a few things. I sold down some of my mineral resources uh, because it's become, it's become over 50% mm. of my portfolio. Wow, yeah, which, really? So, 50%? Yeah, so, yeah, which is just a bit too big. 
Yeah, so uh, I've, <laughs> I've trimmed it. <laughs> Have you heard of diversity? Well, well it's grown that much. <laughs> yeah, right. Because I bought a lot at about $5. <laughs> right. And it went up to 80 or whatever it was. So that's why. Yeah. <laughs> so All it's right. a good story. Okay. Uh, well, so I, what I've done is I've done a bit of remodeling. And, I, and I, had, I've got to, I admit that I had some Magellan as well, which I bought on mm. the, the down run at, at right. $19. At, at what being, point of the down run? Clever. I bought it at 19, 18 to 20 I bought it in okay. that range. And I bought a lot. Yeah. So I've now sold it and, and, and taken the loss so I don't have to think about it anymore and, and realize, recognize it was a stupid thing to do. <laughs> yeah, okay. Put the pain to one side. All right, be interested to see how you approach the next investment committee then when you guys meet. Uh, all right, so uh, the first half of the show we're going to be looking at Reese Stockland, IDP Education, Orica and Steadfast. Our stock of the day is Fortescue. It is in the news. The um, Chief Financial Officer, Ian Wells, the latest among a string of executives to leave Fortescue. Uh, of course, we had Guy to Bell. He only lasted um, three or four months, I think. And um, many analysts have been you know, disappointed by that news. Of course, this comes also after the company's been split essentially into two divisions with Iron Ore and all the future, Fortescue Future Industries, which you know, trying to develop things such as hydrogen. So, Mark, um, we're also obviously a focus on the iron ore price at the moment too and what's yep. going on with China. So how are you approaching Fortescue? Uh, we, well, it's not, it's not a company we're interested in uh, because they are price takers at the end of the day. And if you look at their earnings over the last, since 2018, or the return on equity back in 2018 was uh, nine. So it, was, it's been, it had a few years there where it was below our minimum of 10. And then now it's up at, it peaked at 58. And the last uh, read I've got is about 36. So now that is an absolute consequence of the very high iron ore prices. So they're, you know, they're riding the cycle, which mm. is fine, mm. as they should, which is why they're generating record profits and they're also uh, paying 9.6% yield as well, which is pretty spectacular. Um, not many companies doing that. So uh, look, it's, it's, the P is currently 7.4, which sounds really low. We were just talking about JB Hi-Fi, which is a 9.4. So uh, it's, it's lower than JB Hi-Fi. But is JB Hi-Fi's business more predictable than uh, Fortescue's? I, I would say yes. Um, if something happens in China, and they, I think they buy 50% or more of our uh, iron. Mm. So if anything happens, anything happens in, with Taiwan or well, that whole market's going to get screwed, which, which was one of my reasons why I wanted to lighten my min, because they have quite a lot of exposure as well, yeah, being right. real. Yep. So uh, what we want is we want businesses that have very consistent and predictable earnings. The only trouble is you've got to pay for them. And like one of the ones we're looking at today is... Um, um, uh, ResMed and ResMed's on like a P40 or something. Mm. So you go, well, it's, it's, it's EPS growth rate is lower than uh, Fortescue's, which is running at about um, 46% of average now over the last six years, which is spectacular. But, you know, it's not going to last forever. We don't know how long, but it's paying good dividends. Pretty hard to say that even though the PE's in, at seven, it's in the red, that's the top quarter. And to be in the bottom quarter, it need, need to be below five. Uh, of its normal trading range. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that happens every year. So you'll, you could, you'll probably be able to buy it cheaper if you waited, but it's hard to say that it's not good value because we're showing it returning 18% uh, on a margin of safety per year over the next five years. Now that assumes iron ore holds up. Yes. Otherwise it's all bets are off. So that's the risk. Mm -hmm. So you're taking a punt on what's going to happen with the commodity. Uh, the other thing with Twiggy and all his staff leaving, I think all his senior managers have gone now. The ones, the long-standing ones have, have all left now. Uh, I wonder whether it's his uh, discovering Management religion. Style or, oh, you know, okay. With uh, right. liquid, green hydrogen and so on. He's become a bit of a uh, fanatic on the whole thing, which yep. that, that doesn't turn me on. Right. Uh, I'll be surprised if he ever turns that into a 
a profitable pursuit for sh shareholders, but time will tell. He may be very good at extracting money out of government, though. Right. Yeah. All right. That's the cynic in you. Um, so that you're avoiding it then? Yeah? Yeah. Yep. Okay. Scott, yeah, what are your thoughts then? So I don't disagree with most of what Mark said, except I should disclose I own some Fortescue shares. This is one of those do as I say, not as I do kind of things. I Almost my entire portfolio of companies I've recommended to our members. This one's not. And I bought it because I bought it about oh, 15 bucks-ish, give or take. Um, because the iron ore price was at then reasonably low levels, the share price was pretty low, the dividend was pretty good, and I kind of went, you know what, o on average I reckon if you buy businesses like that at that point in the cycle, you'll probably do okay. Mm -hmm. Now I don't, otherwise, I've never otherwise bought a mining stock, I think the last one I bought was in 2000 or something, like I just don't do it. Um, so this was literally a case of, it looked like it was a low cost producer, the iron ore price was at that point low, the share price was low, and I figured the returns were better on the upside than the downside. But it was too risky for me to say to our members, yeah, in Share Advisor, for example, the service I run, you know, we don't we don't tend to take those sort of punts. So this is a this is a strange one for me where generally speaking, I'd be saying to our members, these things, you know, it was just too high risk. It may have gone very badly. It may not have worked out at all. Had the iron ore price stayed low, fallen further, um, some of the issues that Mark's talked about with FFI, for example, could well have absolutely bitten us before now and may still in future, as he suggests. So uh, look, I, I'm closer to a sell than a buy right now. Have the, the price got up a little bit, which is nice. Iron ore price has gone up a bit. It is that dividend and that cash generation for now that's keeping me around because I think it's probably still too cheap to sell, but could be very volatile. It could take me a long time to make my money back. I could end up selling at a loss in a couple of years' time. So I, I'm talking to both sides of my mouth here. It's not one I'd recommend to our members, but it's one I own, which I feel deeply uncomfortable about generally speaking. Now, but the reason I didn't recommend it to them was I just thought it was, it was too risky. I think it still remains the case and probably more so now because the share price has risen, there's simply less room for, I won't say there's a margin of safety, but there's less room for error the higher the share price goes. Another few bucks on the share price, I'd probably be selling quite honestly. So it's probably a hold at the moment, I think, um, because of the reasons we've talked about so many times before, and Mark's enunciated beautifully, trying to predict the price, who knows? Mm. You're a price taker, there's a lot of opportunity there. These are not high quality businesses, generally speaking, when it comes to predictability, when it comes to returns on Invested capital, uh, return assets, equity, any of those sort of numbers. So it is a it is a very difficult one for me to sit here and say I own it, but uh, but I'll do that. I think it's probably a pretty solid hold for me right now. I wouldn't recommend anyone buy it, but I'm not selling mine, so that makes it that makes it a pretty clean hold. As I said, maybe 24, 25 bucks, and I'm at the exits. Okay, all right. Oh, it sounds as though you talked yourself into holding that, but I, I understand what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. Okay, let's get into the stocks as picked by you. The first one is Reese. Lucy wanting to know about <clears throat> this. It is a uh, bathroom plumbing supply business, not just here, but uh, in the States and elsewhere. Also, uh, it's in the infrastructure too, such as uh, larger scale water systems. Um, now, of course, would also depend on the economic cycle too and its share price. Well, it's down around 50% over the past 12 months. Scott, what's your take on Reese? So this is one of those quality businesses that Mark talked about earlier. You know, Reese has been one of those top dozen or 15 companies. You look at those and go, gee, these guys have done really well for a, for a long period of time. And they were extraordinarily expensive 12 months ago. I mean, you think about um, the, you know, the, the, the chance of a downturn, as you say, Andrew, and that's obvious or most likely that the reason for that share price fall over that period of time. And yet, it's still a P of 24 odd times, which is not astonishingly expensive for Reese, um, but it's not particularly attractive for what's going to be probably a moderate growth business, I think, 
Um, the other thing I should say too, by the way, that PE is helped by a jump in profits in the last 12 months. Before that, the profits were good, uh, but it's been a really nice jump. So there's so many moving parts on this one. Share price down a lot, that's a win. Profits are up. The question for most investors in that circumstance is, how sustainable is that jump in earnings? If it's sustainable, then you look at the PE and say, cool, then we have a, a good base to go from. If you say, well, there might be some one-offs there, and this time next year, profits might be down 10, 20%, back to more normal levels, all of a sudden that 24 PE gets closer to 30. Now again, that's not a massive gap, but it's big enough to sort of say, well, does it have the sort of growth profile to support that? I am not a fan of paying up, even for quality businesses, if they haven't got enough growth runway potential. I'm happy to pay up for quality, generally speaking, but if you're a lower growth business, take a, a Woolies, for example, great business, love it to death, haven't owned it for years, would love to own it at the right price. There simply isn't a, a big enough growth opportunity to justify paying up for that quality. So that's one I'd, you know, I'd happily own at the right price. I'm gonna put Reese in that same bucket. It is getting close to attractive because of that sheer fundamental quality, though returns on assets and equity have been falling recently. So take uh, just a, a half a mark off for that one. I'm gonna say 20% less on the buyer. Uh, right now, I think it's probably a very, very solid hold. If I owned it, I probably owned it at higher prices so that you're probably feeling some pain now. But uh, it's been a good performer over a very long period of time. If you liked it then, there's nothing less to like about the business itself now. The valuation may still be stretched. There may be some choppy waters, as you suggest, Andrew. Uh, but yeah, straight straight up hold. Mm. Uh, one of the better quality businesses. Not a stupidly expensive price, but not cheap enough to buy. Okay. Mark, does it meet your metrics? Uh, yes. Yeah, Reese has uh, been a team invest wealth winner for a long time. It's, um, it has all the characteristics of a business. We like a lot of what uh, uh, Scott said. I uh, totally agree with. They, the founding family of the Wilson family. So there's Wilson, 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 I think, in the business. So there's a whole, and it's multi generational. This has been uh, tightly held. It's always been expensive, though. So it's been a very, very solid business. It's very, very well, well run. But it's been very rare that you could actually buy at a, a decent price that will then give you the return. Mm. The problem is, uh, as Scott mentioned, that the PE is still 24, which is halfway down the green, which is the bottom quartile of its PE range. So it's cheap compared to what it normally is, but it's still too expensive because the CPS growth rate is running at 5% average over the last six years with high stability. So it's a great business. Uh, the big problem happened in 2018 when they bought uh, into the US. So they virtually doubled the sales. Mm. So now they put a significant amount of money in themselves and they did a, a raise as well. And they took on debt to do it, but they bought a very large, about the same size as they were in Australia and the US, but a much lower profit margin business than what they were. And you would assume the assumption was that they would wave the magic wand that Reese have and then increase the performance of the US business because it was very, very similar to what they had in Australia, but that hasn't happened. So you, if you actually look at the sales- The tale of so many Australian businesses oh, yeah, go absolutely. Way, yeah. yeah, we go, ah, oh, <coughs> we can fix this. Yeah, yeah. And what's happened is the US business has won. So, the, so it's dragged down Reese's performance, which why, is why its growth in earnings is only 5% a year over the last six years, includes effectively doubling the sales. So what's happened is their profit margin has gone down significantly, their return on equity has gone down, and so on. So at this stage, and it's been now, that's four years now. Now we had COVID in there as well, but mm. you would think that you know, they would start, there would be a, they would have turned it around more than what they have. So I don't think they've been able to deliver yet. So our view, when they made the acquisition was that it was too dangerous based on our experience with how many Australians lose their shirts in the US. Yeah. And it was right. So we, we avoided it back in 2018 and it's been that way ever since. Now what we're looking at now is if I could see 
that their uh, profit margins were increasing um, and it's only paying 1.6% yield by the way as well, so there's no, no jewelry there. Uh, if they were increasing their profit margins and turning it into more like what Reese used to be, we'd be interested. Okay. But it's not there yet. Mm. So quality business and definitely a watch list one. Okay, watching. All right, let's move on to uh, Stockland. Peter wanted to know about this. It is uh, the residential and land lease developer, um, also a property manager there in retail logistics office. Uh, I was just I was looking at uh, Goldman Sachs' note on it. it. Does have a buy rating at four dollars forty at price target there? Currently at three dollars sixty eight. Um, Mark, what's your view on Stockland? Uh, it's not one that we, we've never been really interested in the REITs and the um, the real estate area. Uh, but if I have a look at it on Conscious Investor, it passes most of our filters. Uh, the stability of earnings is only sixty five percent. We really, we want minimum of seventy usually, and we like eighty or better. But it's, it, it sort of passes, passes everything, and it's on a 3.8 PE, which is very, very low, and that's the very bottom of the green, you know, so it's like at a record low PE. Um, we're showing it returning about 10% a year on a margin of safety and significantly higher than that on our default settings going forward. So, but I don't know anything about management. The return on equity is 22, which is really good, although it's jumped dramatically since 21. So in 21, it was 8.9, and, and prior to 21, it failed every year, so we wouldn't have looked at it because it didn't meet our minimum 10, but now it does, <laughs> so it's jumped up. Yep. Uh, now, the trouble with these businesses too is you don't, I don't know uh, how much of the profit they're showing there or the increase in earnings is based on property revaluations and so on because they're non-cash based, and, and it, they're, they're very difficult businesses, I think, to uh, really understand what's going on to you know what you're doing. So it would be an avoid for me, but you know, yep. it, the numbers look right. Okay, Scott. I, I think, think you're uh, it's oh, pretty straight. S- sorry, we lost you at the. Yep, start again. I'm still here. Yeah, yeah, you're still, still here. there. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Mark, me disappointed because I started by saying I think Mark's right. So I'll, I'll repeat that. Um, the investment income line is pretty modest and and moderately growing over the last ten or so years that I've got here. Like very likely a reval profit has bumped those numbers up, and so you've absolutely as Mark's you've got to be careful. In fact. It's more likely moving forward there'll be devaluations or revaluations downwards yeah. uh, because of rising capitalization rates, which again, without boring people at lunchtime, uh, is basically a, a function of interest rates. So as rates go up, capitalization rates come down. That is the multiple of rent you can earn uh, to, to capitalize in the property price. And it makes no uh, no surprise nobody, given where residential real estate has been over the last 12 or 18 months. That's the same direction that properties are likely to head in the commercial spaces as well. Um, I say commercial in the broader sense, not just not commercial category, but uh, retail, um, other properties alongside. Look, I I don't love REITs at the best of times. Your viewers know that, Andrew. It's a case of, I think, trying to work out where the future might be when it comes to real estate. I think on one end of the scale, you've got the shopping centers, which are going to come under continued threat from online retail. For all of the, the false dawn or the false whatever, the false boom uh, that, that COVID might have presented. You look at businesses like Meyer and DJs that are growing their online businesses at 20, 25% a year still. Now these are not the these are not the you know the Amazons of the world. These are pretty staid, stable, older demographic uh, online so physical bricks and mortar businesses that are getting meaningful amounts of growth. And I think Meyer might be up to a quarter of its total sales online. Um, that growth is going to continue. If you're a if you're in the re- in the retail space, you want to know what your tenants are likely to do and where they're likely to be, I think there's going to be a very, very significant upshift over a very long period of time for online commerce. And that's a massive headwind for retail. We know that retail unit economics are great until they're awful. 
you don't have to have much of a decline until your profit margin disappears at store level. Once it happens at scale, you get meaningful retail bankruptcies. We've seen it in the US. Haven't seen it here. Uh, probably, uh, let me be a bit parochial, we might have slightly better quality retailers here, but um, the same trends are going to continue to be present in my view. So I don't love that. Mm. On the other hand, I don't love office for reasons we've talked about before. We're seeing corporate landlords downsize, not landlords, corporate tenants downsizing. Uh, Westpac, I think, reduced its office space by 60%, I want to say. Maybe it was 40, one or the other. One was the flip side of the other one anyway. In Sydney recently, because people were working from home more frequently, doesn't need to be, again, a full work-from-home revolution, just that flexible working. Do I need a space? Do I need the same space all the time? Am I going to be in there every day? Probably not. Uh, so these are real headwinds for these sort of businesses. Overall, the other thing is, unless you're going to get some juice with leverage, the rate, rate of return is going to be roughly the rental yield. If you're buying a business at book value and you get the rental yield, the only other way you get upside is those property revaluations Mark talked about, which goes go both directions, mm. by the way, mm. up and down. We haven't had down for a while. But also, um, you know, the, the, the challenge of, okay, so where do you get a market beating, you know, share market return? If the rental yield is, I don't know, five, six, seven percent, if you're lucky, that's the best you're going to get other than some revals or the use of debt. And we've seen what happened with Centro property back in the, uh, you know, in the dim, dark past. So, no, too, too risky for me in terms of the potential risks with almost, you know, market matching-ish maximum upside. If the maximum I can get is about market returns, I'm going to take the market. I'll take an ETF and go fishing or find a better stock to buy. So oh, don't right. hate them, but serious headwinds. And I think there's some risk around valuations. Fair enough. All right. Let's move on to IDP Education. Michael wanting to know about this. It is the global education services company, uh, offers student placements in Australia. Um, and uh, of course, most recently, this could be the China story, given that China's reopening and the placement of Chinese students. So, um, Scott, how well placed then is IDP Education? And as a result, do you like it, uh, particularly at these levels? Look, it should be reasonably well placed, Andrew. And I've got to confess, I don't know this business as well as I know some other businesses. But if you look at the results in the last 12 months, they are astonishingly good. And normally I'm saying that's a wonderful thing. And it is if you're a shareholder, you'd be very happy with those numbers. But if we're talking about the China reopening trade, you look at those numbers and say, well, it kind of never went away. There was a modest dip in fiscal 2021. I say modest earnings half, so that's pretty big. But it's jumped back up. Earnings probably tripled again from that point to last year. Now, maybe there's more to come. Maybe there is some reopening you can add on top of that. But you've got to be pretty optimistic, I think, based on those numbers to see where that pure upside might come from in a large enough sense that it might make a meaningful difference to the bottom line of this business. So, again, in terms of... It has it already been priced in? Very possibly. That, that share price, by the way, higher than, already higher than pre-COVID. So let's go through it. Earnings, meaningfully higher than pre-COVID. Share price, meaningfully higher than pre-COVID. Maybe there's another leg of growth. And if you have that view, and if you have that view with some conviction and, I should say, some rationale, in other words, don't say I think it will happen, but why, what, how, and how much? If you can answer those questions, you think I'm being too conservative, then by all means, have a look at it. But a business that's already grown profits above pre-COVID level, its share price is already above pre-COVID level, and here's the kicker, trading on 80 times earnings. I like the trend. I'm glad someone's making some money doing this. I do think we should be uh, taking full advantage of international students. If we have the opportunity, we'll put the university policies aside, but generally speaking, as an export industry, education is a very, very lucrative one for us, and I'm glad IDP and others are making a really good go of it. But I don't see where any decent margin of safety is on this investment. As I said, on profit, on share price, or given the PE, um, it all just seems like the tide's most of the way in. Mm. It's going to have to do a lot from here to justify that price. Okay, so you're avoiding it. 
Yeah. Mark. Um, yeah, yeah I, I concur with all that. I'll just to add, um, the, the ADPE is actually in the bottom quartile. This company's had a very, very high <laughs> PE, you know, often well over 100 mm. for a long time. So it's, it's, yeah, it's been a bit of a uh, meme stock just about. <laughs> it's an $8 billion business though. So um, earnings per share growth is running at 10% average over the last six years, which includes the drop that Scott was talking about in uh, 21. But the growth rate, uh, I'm trying to look at the line you know, to try and balance it out, but it's probably 15% or something uh, if you take out the COVID uh, drop, if, if you can do that. Mm. Um, I think what's happened too is the market has already factored in that with Australia having to catch up on uh, placements and immigration generally, like we've, we dropped a quarter of a million people, I think. So they're, they're now trying to fast track it all. So there's going to be, they're going to go, they should be going into a boom time yep. even for Australia, because uh, well, a big part of what they do is teach um, Chinese and non-English speaking mm. students enough to be able to get into our education system and so on. So that's a big part of it. Plus they help with visas and all the rest of it. So I suspect, I suspect the market's already put that in, which is why the share price has come up to where it is now. It's, it's factored in. So I sort of agree with Scott really. Um, we're showing a default return of about 12%. That assumes a terminal PE, and this is the thing. The trouble with these really high PE stocks, where they don't have massive growth rate to support it, is that if, we, if the market, you know, like if earnings come down, the market comes down further, they will be smashed. Mm. You know, so mm. if, you're on, if you've got a super high PE and you don't have the earnings to support it, you're gonna, you, know, you really take a hit. Um, now, what the, the PE at the moment, on our default settings is 84. So mm. in other words, that assume, and that's based on its historical. So what that's saying in five years time, conscious investors assuming on our default measures, it'll be 84. And it has to be on 84 based on the rest of their numbers for you to get 12% a year at the moment. If I want a margin of safety, it's negative 3% a year uh, currently, which I do want a margin of safety, and I want at least 10 on a margin of safety. And that's at a terminal P of 45. And we're showing it, uh, you, wouldn't, you couldn't pay more than um, uh, $15.49 on a margin of safety, which is about half where it is now, mm. if, you want to, if you want to get a safe 10% return. So it's still way too expensive. Okay, all right. So uh, that's a double avoid essentially yep. then. Yep. Okay, uh, we better get a wriggle on okay. as we are falling behind a little. So let's move on to Orica, um, down to earth with a thud or a bang, uh, as the case may be, given it's uh, dealing in mining services with uh, certainly explosives in the, the mining sector. Um, and But it is confident, just as far as its forecasts are concerned, um, that uh, it's likely to grow. I guess you know, we're looking at what's going on in the, um, in the mining sector at the moment. Uh, Mark, how well-placed is Orica? Uh, it should be really well-placed, but its yeah. performing, performance has been miserable over the last decade. So if you look at it back in uh, 2013, it was doing um, $1.71, and, and now it's, um, uh, where are we now? Now it's about $1.40 in sales. So it's gone backwards all the way through, and the earnings have gone down faster even, that's on sales. So this is just a graph that goes the wrong way, mm. and it's done it for 10 years, and it's tipped up a little bit between 21 and 22, and okay, maybe that's um, encouraging. I mean, it did tip up for a year between 18 and 19, then started going down again. So this is a company that has historically been a really bad performer. Return on equity is only eight, uh, so it fails on that. It's on a 20 PE and it's got negative EPS growth rate average of negative 7.7% a year. Sales have been growing at 1.5. So at least sales are increasing, but that's really not even the inflation rate. But earnings are minus 7.7 average for the last six years. Loss is terrible. Uh, sorry, not loss, uh, growth. And it's on a 20 PE. So that equates to 
is negative 10% uh, on a margin of safety per year if you buy it now, and negative three on default on our models. So it's all bad news, I wouldn't touch it. <laughs> okay, Scott, do you agree? <laughs> I do, unfortunately. I, you know, this is one of those ones you, you're supposed to like blue chip stocks, right? People say, Orica, it's a big blue chip stock. It's in the mining industry. It's this, that's all the other stuff. And you kind of go, yeah, that's great. And if you stop there, then you kind of convince yourself this thing is worth buying. To Mark's point, you could have had this conversation two years ago, five years ago, seven years ago, 10 years ago and said, but it's Orica. It's dot, dot, dot. And you finish on the, uh, the conversation. Yeah, it's big. It's, everyone knows it's in mining services. It's going to, you know, should be doing well. Um, and yet it hasn't. And, and sometimes, you know, <laughs> The old, the old line, you know, when someone shows you who they are, believe them. And it's kind of the same, same situation with Oracle when you look at that and say, well, where's the, you know, where's the, where's the good news? Now, there'll be people watching will say, yeah, yeah, but it's going to do this in future. And look, maybe it does. This is the thing about investing, right? There are going to be surprises everywhere. There are going to be high-risk stuff that pays off. There's always something that can happen or will happen to make people like us look silly when we look at these things. But you've got to look at the business itself and simply say, on what basis would you, given the evidence, believe that Orica can somehow be a much better performing business in the next five or 10 years than in the past five or 10 years. There's nothing in the numbers to suggest that. There's nothing in the share price to suggest that. Um, it's just a tough business all around. So, uh, you know, you, you can want to like it, you can think you should like it. End of the day, when the numbers tell you to stay away, unless you've got a very, very, very good reason to believe that whatever promises, whatever expectations, whatever plans they've got, and look, like all businesses, I'm sure the management are working in their absolute backsides off to do as well as they possibly can. When the numbers simply show you that it's not working, generally speaking, best to believe them and, and, and leave it at that. The numbers will tell you more of the story than the story itself. And so, I, yeah, no, I, I yeah, I, I, as I said, I, I, I'm, I'm half of me is thinking, I should find something good about to say about it because it's Orica, right? It's Orica. No, <laughs> 19 earnings for business, earnings decline. That is a simply straight out sell and walk away. Yeah, well, you know, and, and we've had and we've had a massive mining boom. Yeah, I mean, Rio and BHP, yeah. Mineral Resources, everybody—they're all they've all been printing money. So there's massive volumes going through, which means they should be mm -hmm. doing really well. Yeah, but as you both point out, chronically underperformed. <laughs> all right, uh, let's round out the first half hour with Steadfast. It is the well, in fact, operates the largest broker network in Australia and New Zealand. Uh, it is on the hunt, um, so looking out for acquisitions at the moment. Um, Scott, give us your view of Steadfast. So I really like Steadfast, Andrew. It's, it's both an Australian and a growing global business of aggregating insurance brokers. And this is really, this is if you're a broker, this is good business to be broking for because if I want to find a car insurance policy, I'm going to jump online, I'm going to buy whatever. Right? I'm going to have a comprehensive car insurance policy for one year. Here's my car, here's my make, here's my model. Jump on the couple of websites, check the different insurers and choose the one I like best. If I'm a small business, if I'm looking for professional indemnity or workers' compensation insurance, if I have some complex needs around um, protection of, of real estate, for example, or buildings, I'm going to go to a broker and say, mate, here's what my business does, here's how it works, here's what I need, here's what I don't need, and the broker's going to find me a policy. And that makes it a really, really, the more complex the product is, the harder it is for the insurer to sell, but the more value there is in having a broker in between. Steadfast, well, along with Ausbrokers, I think the AUB they're calling themselves, um, <coughs> excuse me, is doing a really, really good job of aggregating this sector. And the the model of aggregation is really clever. They're generally buying small or, or uh, moderate shares of these businesses, and then eventually buying out the small business owner at, at a period of time, normally five to seven years or so after buying the initial stake, normally at a pre-agreed multiple of earnings. They're going, and they're doing this in a, in a really positive way. What it basically means is, not only are they buying good businesses that are aggregating nicely and their systems are, are scaling beautifully across the back, 
But because they've locked in that multiple, they're almost, uh, Warren Buffett talks about Burlington Northern, the, the railway, and saying, we know we can redeploy capital at reasonable rates. The same with the energy business. This is kind of one of those stories because um, Steadfast is going to have to come up with more money to buy out the rest of these businesses in time. But it's going to be a good return because they're buying businesses at attractive prices, businesses they know, and they're actually improving the profits most of the time of the companies they're buying. So you can almost see three, four years into the future of what the capital requirement will be, but also the fact that's likely to be at a good return. Mm. This is still a very, very, very fragmented global industry. Um, now, Steadfast is 25 times earnings. Generally speaking, I'd be very wary of a business at that sort of level. Uh, you know, it's probably you want to find a faster growing business, but their ability to redeploy that capital at really attractive rates of return, get this one across the line, it's a buy for me. All right. Okay. Mark, do you agree? Uh, uh, most of it, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's it's, <laughs> it's uh, insurance services, and a lot, of, a lot of what they do is commercial, you know, pubs and business, business insurance, truckies mm. and all sorts. Those sorts of isn't going away. You know, this this is this this business will continue on whether we have recessions or whatever we have. Mm. So it meets all those criteria of having a very predictable business model. They uh, they provide a lot of a whole range of products. We won't go into um, generally avoiding the risky area of underwriting. They do a little. I'm not sure they do any underwriting at all actually. But underwriting is where you uh, take the risk of having to pay the po- the policies out. Um, the only problem is, and it's what I agree, totally agree with Scott, is it's too expensive. Um, we've got a price on it. If you want a 10% return, as a, which is our absolute minimum, of 4.45. So it's currently 5.20 or something, I think, isn't it? Uh, 5.39 mm. at the moment. So it's just too expensive. Now it's been as low as that within the in the trailing 12 months. So I think it's one to watch. I, I couldn't say I'd buy it right now. I think it's too expensive. Okay, a watch there for Mark on Steadfast. Let's uh, sum up. Where we've been for the first half of the show, we began with our stock of the day, Fortescue, in the news. Uh, it is losing personnel at, well, some would regard as an alarming rate. Um, Mark, uh, look, he's, uh, he's avoiding it, uh, particularly given it is one of those mining stocks that's given its price taker. Um, Scott, a little conflicted there. <laughs> he wouldn't recommend it, but he did buy it. Uh, but uh, he's, he's more likely to hold it at this point. Okay, those stocks as picked by you, Reese in that bathroom plumbing supply business. Um, Scott's saying uh, he'd buy it at the right price, perhaps when, if it fell another, say, 20%. Uh, he's got a hole on it, and uh, Mark is essentially watching it, uh, once again, uh, too expensive. Stockland, look, Mark's saying it's just uh, isn't avoided this bank, not really interested in, in REITs and property uh, stocks at this point. Uh, and Scott pointing out likely devaluations ahead uh, for it, particularly as rates rise, so it's too risky for him. Uh, IDP Education, uh, looking to benefit from that Chinese reopening. However, both are avoiding it at the moment, particularly given it's trading on what, some 80 times earnings or thereabouts. Uh, Orica, the explosives business, it is an avoid from both, uh, underlining that it's just a chronically underperforming business over the past five or 10 years, despite the mining booms that we've seen. And Steadfast there, well, it's a buy from Scott and a watch from Mark. All right. So to our portfolio, which we're tracking uh, and is picked by our investment committee, the latest episode of that is Life You To Watch at Ausbiz.com. So checking in on the update, going into December of the new year, Bapcorn and Domino's were removed, Index and Janus and Education were added, and Elders was increased, uh, checking in on its performance, and thus far it's up almost 8% on a cumulative return basis since the beginning of March last year. So keep your requests coming in. 
keep the call switched on to see what our committee will be looking at next. At CMC, we've been in the game for a while, and although a lot of things have changed, our mentality hasn't. We aim to give experienced traders the best trading experience, like our expert platform with its second-to-none trading tools, plus our pricing is completely transparent. That's why people who've been trading for a long time stay with us for a long time. So if you're serious about trading, switch to the market leader trusted for over 30 years. Trade CFDs your way at cmcmarkets.com. You don't own underlying assets. Consider relevant PDS and TMD or information memorandum for CMC Pro accounts at our website. Well, what we're looking at next for the second half of the show, A2 Milk, Technology One, Cube Holdings, IGO, and ResMed. So to A2 Milk, uh, and uh, well, it certainly um, was up around 20% share price over the past 12 months, but uh, in fact down 65% since the, since middle of 2020. Uh, once again, this is uh, largely a perhaps China story at the moment. Uh, it uh, did see a large reduction in that infant formula buying by that Daigu channel out of China, but with those tourists perhaps returning, it could get the boost. Mark, do you therefore like it or not? No, no, we used to like it. Right. <laughs> so it was actually fantastic up until um, about two, where did it go? Off the rails, let me have a look. Uh, uh, it was fabulous up to 220. It had you know, incredibly strong growth and it was a brilliant story. The PE peaked at 170. Uh, I think there's a good lesson in this. So what happened was the, the, the share price dropped from 21, I think it was, down to about seven. Um, so the, it, it's virtually 60 or 60 or more percent down, 70 percent mm. down on the uh, share price. So a lot of investors took a real bath on it, depending on when you bought it, of course. And if you think about it, that their business model, were, or they were capitalizing on a arbitrage with China. What was happening is the Daigaos were uh, Chinese residents in Australia or tourists and so on who were buying up milk powder and taking it back yep. and selling it. Now, why would you then assume that's sustainable? Because that's what the market did. The market went, oh, this is fantastic. So we have these massive PEs. And remember, a massive PE means you're assuming those earnings are going to continue at least for the, that number of years. But, well, that's how long it takes you to get your money back. So if it's a, even if it's a 10 PE, that means 10 years uh, to, get your, uh, to get your money back. 100 PE, it's 100, <laughs> 100 years. So in other words, you're assuming the growth rate of 30% or whatever it was is going to continue to keep going. And if you think about it, it was, it was built on a house of cars. Now, I've got to admit, we, were, we, we liked it. So I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I would have bought it at $20, but the point I'm making is when you think about it, this is not a business that had the, uh, the foundations of being able to consistently continue to grow at the rate it had. Yep. But it was pretty spectacular what it did until it stopped. Therefore, you're not oh, interested. But, oh, well, now, now, we're down, well, now it's floundering around. Down, you know, like, I have no idea what's going to happen. So yeah. I'm, I'm showing, we're showing returns at the moment of negative um, 1% a year on the current price. It's on mm. 46 PE still, by the way, Right. in the green, mm. but that's still a very high PE. And I can't, I don't really have an earnings figure. I've got well, what I've got. I've got not minus 3% EPS growth rate average over the last six years, but it doesn't mean much because it went from a spectacular growth to a collapse. So that's yeah. the average of uh, that. So that's not really useful. Yeah, okay. So well, I, I wouldn't, I, I would avoid it. It's a turnaround story, story now. Well, yeah, all right. Okay, Scott. Yeah, I can't disagree with anything Mark said. Unfortunately, we also got involved in this one. On the way down, uh, if I've been guilty of anything, it's buying stuff too too early. Uh, just for my sins, I'll mention, I, I decided that uh, we should buy Webjet uh, in, in January 2020 when I said, well, how bad could COVID possibly be? It turned out very, very bad. So uh, I, I, the, price, the price fell a bit. I said, oh, the price is down on Webjet. Come on, how bad can it be? Uh, so look, I, I have been guilty of this before. I've done it with A2 Milk as well. I do own it personally. 
Uh, I bought it at a cheaper price than we recommended it for our members, which also makes me feel bad, but it just kept falling. So uh, there was opportunity. Um, look, I, you know, I this is a hard one. This is a hard one. If you look at the the earnings, as as Mark rightly said, the the fall from Grace has been astonishing, but they are back in growth mode at least as a business now. The question, of course, is not to say, well, therefore they can get back to the Daigu highs. Now, maybe they can, by the way. That's that's one of the outcomes. Um, but it's a question of, okay, we are where we are now. This is a business that has, and by the way, if you can create a brand premium selling white milk, you are doing sensationally well. Mm-hmm. I, I, hats off to their marketing team. Uh, this is, you know, fresh milk, fresh milk, fresh milk. Woolies and Coles selling it for a dollar a litre for a while, and A2 saying, no, but we've got this special protein, and you should pay a lot more for it. And a lot of people saying, yes, we will. Thank you very much, uh, which I think is an extraordinary story of, of brand building. Um, so, look, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a straight out hold for me. I own it, as I said, we've uh, recommended our members hold it as well. Uh, we downgraded it when business got worse. We didn't sell it. We probably should have earlier, frankly. At this point, though, the, the question is, is where the, the kind of recovery point gets back to. And I am cautiously optimistic enough not to sell it. Mm. So, again, I'm not saying it's a buy, um, but I think there's probably reason to believe some of those sales are recapturable again not a word but let me pretend it is um, at some level and so this is one it's higher risk by definition we've talked a lot about predictability a2 milk is not predictable at all they didn't do the wrong thing by taking advantage of that daigu trade by the way investors the rest of us did the wrong thing by pretending it was sustainable blackmore's another story exactly the same thing of course you take the money if it's being offered to you you can make the sale make the sale but what what investors did is said ah well if that continues forever then dot 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 and that's well, Mark's already highlighted. So yep. um, I think it's a hold. It's at the top end of the risk spectrum as the price is going up. We put it on hold, by the way, about 3 or $4. So we've done reasonably well for our members in the meantime. But um, just, just be a little bit careful. It has come up a decent way. Uh, you're probably closer to selling than buying. I'm going to wait till we talk about earnings season at the top of the show. Mm. I'm going to wait till then and see how the business is performing. If it doesn't continue to get sequential growth, probably time to exit the price stage where it is. Okay, all right, good one. That is A2 Milk. Let's move on to Technology One, working on uh, delivering uh, software to customers to access software from any device, basically. Um, Interesting, Goldman Sachs uh, saying it's attracted to it, uh, given potential earnings upside in the years ahead with price increases, uh, UK growth, margin expansion. Um, So Scott, would you agree? How do you view Tech One? Yeah, my goodness. If you look at the, so we'll talk, about, we'll talk about the business in a second. But if you just, if you want to, if you want a really pretty picture, if you like your graphs and you want a pretty picture, the ten-year earnings story, the ten-year earnings graph for Technology One is astonishing. It's exactly the shape, almost to the point. I really, I'm not alleging anything here. If you're going to, if you're going to pretend, put together an earnings graph, say, look, his slow, steady, compound growth. Uh, look at this. This, this is the picture I draw. It's almost exactly dot for dot the way you would draw a ten-year earnings, ten-year earnings graph that does that. Um, they're continuing to get really nice earnings growth. Uh, earnings have gone up by 170% over the last 10 years. They've almost doubled over the last five. Um, so it's, getting, it's doing a really, really good job. These are super sticky customers. Education, healthcare, local government, uh, they're not going away. We talked about customers for insurance that aren't going away. Those three segments of customers, firstly, it's super sticky software. Once it's in, which government's going to say, let's throw that out and start again? Probably none. Uh, which hospital's going to do that? Probably none. Education, maybe, but probably not. And then think about those businesses. They're not going out of business anytime soon. So you've got a really nice moat of effectively, you want to get rid of me? Do you know how hard that is? And you've got businesses that aren't going anywhere. No wonder their churn is so incredibly, incredibly low. I can't remember the numbers, but I want to say it might have been less than 1% last time. It might be might be 1%, really, 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 really <coughs> tiny for software. Mm. So a really defensible baseline of earnings, really strong long-term growth. Now, it's trading at 48, time, 20, yeah, 48 times earnings. 
that is extraordinarily expensive, even for a software company. Because it's not going to have the explosive growth of some of the SaaS businesses. By the way, it's also not going to have the explosive declines um, of their share prices. So uh, thank yourself lucky if you own those shares that you went with a stable, well-proven, long-term winner business-wise. I am going to call this one a, a buy. We did recommend it to our members about 30% cheaper uh, uh, six or seven months ago, eight months ago. Um, so it's come up a bit during that period of time. We probably will have a look at it at some point because there is a price uh, too, too high to pay for any business. Uh, buy for me at the moment, probably at the top end of buy, getting close to a hold. Okay, Mark. In fact, you were just showing me that earnings. Yeah, in fact, uh, Scott's right. It's 99% stable. In other words, there's a 1% deviation in its EPS growth rate, but not 10 years because all we get to see now is 10 years of data. It all drops off. It's 20 years. So it's had 20 years of a straight line. So it doesn't get any better than that. Now, remember what we're trying to do when we're investing is we're trying to predict the future. And we, we, we work on probabilities, obviously. Mm. So the probability, if I look mm. at tick one, and, and I understand the business and the management, and I look at that 99% stability of EPS growth rate, which, by the way, is at 13%, um, why I can then say, do I believe that that will still be growing at the same rate in the next five to 10 years? And the answer is absolutely. Uh, we call the moat that Scott was talking about a trapdoor moat, which means once you're in, you can't get out. Uh, they went for a 10-year period and didn't lose a single client, Wow! You know, which is spectacular. I think this is probably, for me, I, I'd be, be hard-pressed to say this is not the best company on the ASX. Mm. So uh, now price-wise, Scott's absolutely right, 48 is expensive. And what that means is the return, I would argue, is going to be a reliable 12% a year at, at the moment going mm. forward over the next five years. However, that's assuming a terminal PE in five years of 42 so it's still a high, you know, yep. still a high here. I think their earnings are actually going to accelerate now. I know the business really, really well. We know management very well. Their UK operation now, which they did the hard way, rather than going over and buying a business like most Australians do, yep. they sent Aussies over and then pounded the, uh, the shoe leather and actually sold new clients. They did it all the hard way. Yep. And that's now making, I think it made a two million, two and a half million profit last year. They, they had 19 councils in Greater London. They're replicating their Australian business that is now going to go, that's going to increase their growth significantly. So I think this will be a 15 to 20% EPS growth company within five years, which will then support the high PE or, or better. So that's why I'll agree with Scott that it's a buy then. Um, our members typically want to buy it for less, including me. Um, it's been my, a lot of my best performance. I yep. bought it in 2011 originally. The original investment I put in has done 102% compound return per year. Yeah, because of the, on what I paid for originally, which was 98 cents. Yeah. yeah. All right. So, uh, well, that's obviously one for you guys, the yeah. investment community. Yeah. To but we'd like, I'd, like to, I'd like it to be $10. Yeah. It's okay. It's and a jet, it's wouldn't you like anything cheaper? It's currently, it's currently uh, yeah. thirteen twenty nine. All right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we better lift the pace. Let's get on to Cube. It's the logistics company. Uh, has a significant uh, interest in Patrick, uh, the container terminals business, uh, doing also well off acquisitions. Mark? Thoughts on Cube? Uh, uh, it's um, yeah, Cube. It's one I don't know much about. It's I think. Do you want, uh, uh, do you want to start with Scott? I just lost the page. That's Scott, right. do you want to start <laughs> on a Cube? Yeah, let's let's do that. Look, logistics is an interesting business, Andrew, because it, it's a it's a relative duopoly oligopoly in most places, most ports. That's a positive, but you've then got the the ongoing supply chain from the port normally to a distribution center, and depending on the individual business. These tend to be vertically integrated businesses. They tend to have different, um, you know, access points to, towards uh, that supply chain. Some do it all. Some do some of it. Some pass uh, different pieces off. That being said, 
This is not a growing business, and Q particularly is not a growing business. It's been more volatile than you would expect, honestly, from a logistics business that's largely an infrastructure organization. You wouldn't expect to see the same degree of, of volatility as has been in the share price. It's not massive. It's not, it's not you know, coal miner volatility, but we've seen it you know, as low as, what, uh, $0.04 cents a few years ago, and then it was up to $0.15, cents, now down to about $0.12, cents, $0.08 cents or so. Mm. Um, so it's been all over the place. Um, it's it's not a it's not a, a, a sustainably um, we talk about technology one right you compare those two the, these are chalk and cheese and again for a business that should be reasonably accessible reasonably stable a reasonably stable business so that being said look earnings have halved over the last four years but they're up they're probably doubled over the last five so you know you kind of keep those two things in your head at the same time and you say okay well how do I look at what the future might be the problem is right now it's trading at twenty nine times earnings on the numbers I've got in front of me so you've got a volatile business. Now, if last year's earnings end up being a low point, then maybe this is kind of okay. If they end up being a high point, maybe that's okay. So earnings, by the way, are less than they were 10 years ago. And so again, you're paying 29 <laughs> times earnings for a business that earns less money now than it did mm. back in 2013. <clears throat> uh, not for me at all, okay. way too expensive, not predictable enough, not a business I'd buy, I'd sell it if I owned it. Uh, all right, Mark. I, I agree with all that. And yep. also the return on capital is 3.5 and it's only been over 10% once in the last decade. So that, and that's like a speed limit. You know, 3.5%, I would argue, is all you can earn on this yep. going forward. And that's not counting the, the massively high PE. Okay, it's a no from both for Cube. Moving on to IGO. Uh, Cindy Wellington about this. Uh, did merge with Western Areas uh, to create that battery metalist special. Uh, in news, though, um, it's uh, joint venture uh, with... Uh, to um, well, Tianqi uh, Lithium Energy Australia is set to acquire uh, the lithium exploration company Essentials Metals through a scheme of arrangement. It is that joint venture there with uh, with IGO. Um, Scott, what are you? Uh, what are your thoughts on IGO? It's funny, Andrew. You know, I, I first looked this up and it said it describes itself as a clean energy company. I thought, oh, I wonder what it does. Turns out it's just uh, it mines stuff that people put in batteries, and so you get to call yourself a clean energy business. Yeah, uh, well. I. I, I Tongue, tongue firmly in cheek, of course, but not by much. Um, so nickel, copper, cobalt uh, mining. This is this is. I, I'm not a fan of miners in general. We've talked about that already. As I said, my my one blood on the copybook is Fortescue. So far, it's made some money for me, by the way. But I'm not going back there in a hurry. This is trading at 11 times earnings. That looks really cheap. And so you look at the earnings, which are three times what they were only a year ago. So if they go back to that level, you're paying a 33 time multiple for this business. If they don't. Maybe they go higher, maybe it's cheaper again. That's the open question for investors. Uh, I don't like the lithium hype at the moment, really, honestly. I think lithium has got a big, big future as a battery metal. I don't know the price is justifiable. I certainly don't believe the hype is justifiable. We've been through way too many cycles over the last 20, 30, 40 years of, of share market history to believe that today's hype is likely to be tomorrow's you know, new normal. Uh, there's so many versions of the, the cannabis boom. There was the graphene boom. There was the nickel boom. Uh, Mark, I'll have another couple by the time I, I finish talking. Um, you know, maybe it's something. It's probably not. And in that case, again, uh, you might talk about, you know, as investors, and I, I'd add to that, as investors, our job is to assign probabilities to outcomes and simply say, do we think it's likely? Do you think it's probable? And to what degree of confidence? And am I paying a price that combined with that degree of confidence gives me a positive likely outcome? Uh, in my view, absolutely not. This level of earnings looks unsustainable to me. I don't know that it's not, but I don't have to be right on the downside. I just have to avoid the ones that blow up. Uh, no, too expensive, not the right business. Uh, I can't imagine a price I'd pay for this one, but it probably less than half of what it is now, maybe. 
Oh, okay. All right, Mark. I'm guessing you agree with that. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. I agree. Yeah, the only the only thing I'll add to that is that the, it's also a very complex business. I read the uh, I had a look at the Morningstar mm. data report on it, and it goes through all of what they're doing and how much they've got of this and that. And you'd have to be an absolute. Uh, we'd have to be a geologist at least, or more, or more, to be able to have any idea of whether this can turn into money or not. Because all we can do is, as Scott had said before, is look at what the what the companies have done historically and and how they've performed, and then use that as a baseline. But this is not like JB Hi-Fi. You know, this has got all these moving parts with all sorts of different minerals, with different partnerships and different shares of this and different shares of that. I have no idea whether, yep. they can, whether that'll be a success going forward. Maybe compared to JB Hi-Fi, which we know just continually pumps out consistent profits every year and grows really, really well on something we get, you know, selling Apple computers and stuff. All right, I'm taking that as a no then from both on ITO. <laughs> All right. Just to make sure you, you yeah, know, I, I, I should have said it clearly. All right, let's round it out with ResMed. Um, and uh, Reese wanted to know about this. It is that sleep treatment focused medical device company, uh, not just the devices, but then it's the SaaS add on there. Uh, it, uh, <clears throat> and it's grown substantially across the globe, Europe, Asia. Uh, although markets, those markets did decline um, somewhat over the past 12 months or so. So, um, Mark, actually, you referenced this earlier. So, what are your thoughts on ResMed? Uh, ResMed is a quality business. Uh, it's, I mean, if you look at the Australian uh, healthcare businesses like ResMed, CSL, Cochlear, and uh, Fisher and Parker Healthcare, you know, they're all really good businesses. ResMed has been. Uh, we like ResMed, and I've got a lot of members um, invested in it, and it's, uh, it passes all our filters, it's all green, so there's nothing wrong with the business. Its EPS growth rate's running at about 14% average over the last six years with good stability. Uh, they had a bit of a blip through COVID, uh, not surprisingly. Uh, return on equity is 23, which is excellent, and it's at 38 PE at the moment, which is down the low of the end of the green for them. So even though that sounds like a high PE, it's not a high PE when you look at that, this sector. And the reason is this sector is super, super reliable. Mm. You know, it's going to continue on no matter what. Uh, interest rates aren't probably going to affect it much. And uh, inflation or recession isn't either. Um, having said all that, we're showing it returning 6.3% on a margin of safety per year at the current uh, uh, pricing and 17% on default, which is pretty good. So that's giving you a range of 6 to 17 per year over the next five years. So I, I would say, you know, that's... It's still it's reasonable to be a buy. I'll say it's a buy. Okay, um, that's encouraging, um, Scott. What are your thoughts? <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna join Mark. We're coming home with a wet sail yeah. after uh, <laughs> yeah, right. a couple of discussions. Okay. We uh, couldn't get IGO across the line, but no, ResMed, a really high quality business, as Mark has said. Here's the other thing: this is not just a great business with a great brand and great products. It did okay during COVID, but not spectacularly. Had some respirator, hospital respirators it made, which helped a little bit. Um, lost some mask sales, but they'll come back. Here's the thing, we're getting fatter as a society, we're getting wealthier, we're becoming more affluent. And so the reality is the number of case treatment available, sorry again, the number of treatment cases available to ResMed for sleep apnea, which is its key um, uh, illness, if you like, or condition that it's treating, will continue to skyrocket for, I'm gonna say, a couple of decades at the very, very least. Mm. More people with more money around the world start firstly. Secondly, more of those people will develop sleep apnea and need treatment. Thirdly, ResMed is there to solve the problem. So there are very few businesses, we talk about kind of uh, not so much certainty, but, but confidence of what the future might look like. I'm going to throw a Cochlear, ResMed, Technology One, you can probably find a couple of others too, whose businesses you expect in 5, 10, 15, 20 years will be not only consistently better, but meaningfully larger mm. than they are today. ResMed is absolutely one of those for me. It's not quite as stable as Technology One's earnings, but pretty good considering, again, particularly because of COVID. 
Uh, I like this business a lot. It's been a buy for us for a long time. I think we've had it on the scorecard for six, seven years maybe. Uh, it's still a buy. I think it's, yeah, it's not as cheap as it has been. So, you know, you, know what? you always want a better price. Um, but if I'm gonna, if I'm gonna, you know, look for a business that's gonna be bigger and better in 10 years time with a high degree of confidence, ResMed's on the podium, it's a buy for me too. Good one, uh, you've done well. That it goes uh, to the investment committee, Mark. There's another one for you to consider. Well, I'll make sure it gets in. Yeah, okay. All right, <laughs> let's, uh, let's sum up then where we've been for the second half of the show. We began with A2 Milk. Um, look, Mark pointing out, it's just not sustainable there. Uh, and uh, Scott acknowledging he bought it too early, uh, but he does have a hold on it. But Mark's it, it's a no. Um, look, a triumph in marketing essentially is how Scott summed that up. Um, Technology One, very different story. It is a double buy. It will be considered by the investment committee. And uh, look, Scott pointing out spectacular earnings growth. It is expensive though. Uh, but Mark likewise um, pointing out sticky customers there. Um, in fact, you described it as the best company on the ASX. I think so, yeah. It's hard, yeah. To, I, I, it's hard to think of another one that's better, quite frankly. Uh, all right. Well, that's another one for the investment committee to consider there. Cube, um, very different story. It is a no from both. It's not growing. Um, end of story. Um, IGO, yeah, also no fans here. Um, well, certainly Scott's not a mining fan. Mark, um, similarly there, it looks cheap, but unsustainable earnings there at this point. Uh, Mark pointing out it's just a very complex business, difficult to understand. ResMed, yeah, we did come home with a wet sale there, a double buy. Uh, passes all filters, says Mark, high quality, and uh, both pointing out that growth potential, particularly uh, given they're dealing in uh, treatment of uh, sleep apnea. All right, that is the show. Uh, Mark, thanks for joining us from Team Invest. Oh, thank you, Andrew. There you go. Thank you, yeah, well we, got today. Two. we got two. Yeah. <laughs> Scott, yeah, thanks to you for getting those two across the line. Thanks for joining us at Molly for. <laughs> Pleasure, mate. It's been a lot of fun. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks, Scott. Thanks, All right, cheers. Any stocks you'd like us to cover, flick us an email, the call at ausbiz.com.au. You can tweet us at ausbiz.tv. Stay with us. Small Caps is next.